Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. It's the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. J.C. Sherbert here with you. Thursday, February 25th. Hope all of you are doing well with the warmer weather uh, as opposed to last week and uh, some of the bad weather we've had down in the south. Uh, got a special guest here today. We rarely do guests here on Inside the Gamecocks, but uh, uh, special occasions call for special people. John Whittle from the TheBigSpur.com uh, joins us. And, John, uh, I'd be remiss to say that most of the Gamecock fans out there uh, are pretty doggone excited about, about this series with Clemson this weekend uh, on the diamond. Uh, good start for the team. Uh, I think more importantly, uh, Gamecock fans, after what was a rough football and rough basketball season on the men's side, uh, are kind of hungry for some winning sports. Uh, what do you What do you think about that? Oh, absolutely, a- absolutely. It's been uh, a challenging year for for South Carolina fans with with uh, these this this football team and and the wins and losses there and same with men's basketball and you know there's there's been a lot of excitement around this group uh of baseball players coming in coming into the season uh there's been a lot of hope for this team um and and you know it's obviously only been four games but at least it it feels like a a bit of a promising start is is it is better than than the opposite for sure uh you're supposed to win games against Dayton and Winthrop, but at the same time is is uh, going four and oh and and dispatching those teams as, as easily as they did is is certainly an an encouraging early start. Yeah, and I think too, you know, since around I guess it was twenty fifteen ish, uh, you know, South Carolina rarely lost midweek games uh under Ray Tanner and usually the first you know the first year couple under Chad Holbrook, but inexplicably this program started dropping some of these midweekers. Uh, you know, I remember them losing to Presbyterian one day. I mean, it, it was, it was frustrating, I think for a lot of fans. Um, and so getting that win over Winthrop, I think after the sweep was big, I've also seen this team lose some game threes, uh, you know, when they've been up to nothing or, or this program, not this team, this program, and, and you know, seeing them face some adversity, uh, and then still get up off the mat and finish that sweep off, uh, I think it's a positive sign. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And, uh, you know, they they went out there and and, and have, have played good baseball too. You know, sometimes these northern teams come in and and uh, haven't, haven't played much, haven't been outside much, and and, and have come in and throw, throw balls away and walk a ton of players and errors and, and all this stuff. And, you know, that didn't really happen this time around. Um, you know, Dayton played, played quality baseball and I, and I know Winthrop, uh, uh, Winthrop and South Carolina both didn't play the cleanest of games, the first few innings, but, you know, in, in the end, like South Carolina ended up playing a, playing a really quality game. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's encouraging the, the way this, this thing has kind of started out and, and uh, as you mentioned, there have been plenty of, of, of midweek losses and early season losses to go around. This is actually the, um, you know, it, it, this, they, they swept last weekend. South Carolina swept opening weekend last weekend. But the previous four seasons, I believe it was four, it was at least three, uh, lost at least one, one game on opening weekend. So, so 4-0 is certainly welcome. Absolutely. And, and they're, they're three wins away 
for matching the total win total of men's basketball and football this year. <laughs> I, know you, I know in baseball you play a lot more games, you know, 30, 30 wins in baseball and 30 wins in the other sport. But uh, uh, certainly just having that good feeling, I think, for fans is is pretty good. And you're right. I mean, you know, like I'm not a baseball expert. I get asked about it from time to time. But the thing with me is this, it, it just feels like some of the old teams, you know, it, it, they, they, they look physically really good. Um, the guys look like they've been working out in shape, you know, kind of like those old teams used to. They they seem to play tough and resilient, uh, and they're extremely deep pitching-wise, I think, talent. And I think that's a good combination if you're wanting to win in the Southeastern Conference. Um, so the Clemson weekend's coming up. They, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't know much about what Clemson's all about this year. I, I know that they probably on paper aren't as good as Carolina. First game Friday, tomorrow – uh, at 4 p.m. at Clemson, the, the forecast for the weather looks a little ominous. So, so the question is, do you, do you think they'll get the game in, number one? And, and what can you expect from a, uh, a matchup standpoint? You know, I, I haven't heard a lot of the details yet in terms of, like, what's going to go on if they're not able to play. So I, I know in years past they've talked about pushing the series back to Monday uh, if, if a game is, is, has been lost due to weather because nobody wants to give up a home game for sure. Uh, so, but I don't know if if that fits into the league's conference or each league's uh, coronavirus protocols or not. So I, I don't know exactly how how this would be handled if if they don't get to play tomorrow. But you know, it's usually you have a little bit better feel for both teams going into this is this weekend because usually there's two weeks worth of games and and each team is usually played at least seven usually a, a weekend two weekend series and at least one midweek game you know sometimes you see eight games played so you have have, have a larger sample size you know and Clemson's played three games uh, they didn't have a midweek game and they've also got several guys out you know Keir Meredith uh, one of their one of their top outfielders was out, and, and he should be back. But Adam Hackenberg, their top catcher, is is out for the weekend. Sam Hall is who's a utility guy who can start in the outfield or or second base or any really anywhere on the infield. Um, he's out uh, for this weekend as well. Uh, their backup catcher is out. Um, they've they've got they've got a handful of guys, especially position players who who aren't healthy and ready to play. So. Uh, it, so I, I don't know that we see a true Clemson team that, that you know, maybe out on the field later this year. That being said, um, you know, South Carolina goes in, I, f- I feel like with a, with an advantage uh, on the mound against, against their hitters, uh, you know, Clemson's not really a, a particularly powerful team. I don't feel like, you know, obviously the, the, the numbers bear that out early, but obviously it's early with, without some of their key guys, but you know, for example, they've got eight extra base hits in three games, you know, four doubles and four home runs. And, you know, South Carolina is is well, well past that. There's 13 doubles alone on this team, plus two triples and 14 home runs through four games. So, you know, one of the, the big things I'm looking for this weekend is is how South Carolina's starting pitchers are, are going to handle Clemson's hitters. They do provide competitive at-bats. They're scrappy at the plate. They're not going to let you strike them out very easily. Um, you know, and South Carolina's kind of struggled with that last year against this team. You know, Clemson wasn't wasn't really a, a, a high-value high offense last year either. Um you know, they South Carolina was supposed to have an edge there, and and you know Clemson's 
Clemson's hitters really did a good job of battling and and uh, and working counts, getting starting pitchers out of the game pretty early, and and uh, you know ended up going on to win that series. So, you know, I feel like South Carolina's starting pitchers need to go out there and, and be kind of dominant and and live up to, you know, what the hype has been going into the season. Absolutely, and so do you expect for Jordan Bosnick, you think that's how it'll line up uh, this weekend with the Gamecocks starting pitching? Yeah, that, that's how it'll line up. You know, I, I feel good about those three guys in terms of where they are, and, and uh, you know, the Gamecocks have a couple of freshmen who are behind them in terms of, you know, if, if somebody were to go down or contact tracing with coronavirus or what have you. Uh, but th- those three are the guys right now, and, uh, you know, I – there, there, there's some guy. There's some players behind them. A Will Sanders, a, a Magdal Cotto, a Jack Mahoney. Those guys could all step in uh, at some point this season if need be. But, but right now, you you feel good about about Far Jordan and Bosnick. Absolutely, and I thought those guys pitched pretty well last weekend. I mean, it wasn't perfect, obviously. Bosnick, after he struck out eight in a row, uh, it could have had nine. You know, Davidson kind of got to him at times. Carolina actually played pretty good defense, I thought. Um, you know, and, and I don't know, again, and, and I don't need to keep harping on this because I think people know this, but uh, as far as – I'm not a big baseball talent guy. But looking at this, I mean, Miguel Cotto, <laughs> I mean, this cat's 6'4", 245 pounds. He looks like a, a daggum tight end out there, and he throws smoke and he's a left-hander. And then the local kid, Josiah Seitler, also looks like a tight end, also is a left-handed pitcher, and he can bat. And and they both throw pretty well. Uh, you have two guys like that coming out of the bullpen, and those aren't even your closers. You know, you, you got sweat uh, as your closer there. And and, and I, I just, you know, when you have a bullpen like this, I, I just think it's tremendously advantageous once you get to the postseason, first and foremost. Uh, but also, you know, if your pitcher does have the off day, uh, you don't really fall apart. Uh, and, and I thought that was key, particularly in game three uh, against Dayton. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, and you know, South Carolina's pitching staff, you know, really has a bunch of, of big and physical guys. Um, you, you, you mentioned a couple of them, but, but Andrew Peters is a, a physical specimen, Daniel Lloyd, six, three, two thirty. Uh, there's a freshman in, in the class, Travis Leansman, who's six, six, two thirty four. Um, you know, CJ wines is six, three, two twenty five. I mean, they, they've got some, they've got some real size on, on the mound and, and that's gonna, that's gonna yield some, some strength there. And, uh, and you know, that kind of is, is a big part of the reason why South Carolina's velocity numbers are so high. I think it's, I think it's 14 guys who have, who have been 93 or 94, uh, and above, uh, at, at times during scrimmages coming into the year. So, you know, it's, it's a, it's a deep staff with, with, uh, uh, a bunch of, uh, a, a bunch of size there with some arm strength. And, but, you know, you, you look at a guy like Jack Mahoney, who's, well, he, I mean, he's not small, he's six two two ten but, you know, he's one of the hardest throwers and, you know, he's, he's a guy right there who will, who is kind of just behind Brett Carey in terms of being able to close out games. You know, Jack, I think is, is a projected, you know, starting pitcher long-term, but I, I feel like he can be a great reliever uh, this year at the back end of the games, helping out Brett. And, and um, you know, I, I think that'll be a good combination there. 
Wes Clark uh, probably had, you know, one of the best starts in college baseball nationally. Obviously, he won a couple of, uh, I guess, national awards. You know, the, this cat's on a tear. Obviously, it's not going to last forever. But, you know, you hear the name Yaron Peters come up a lot as far as, uh, you know, Clark being able to hit the home runs. Uh, six of them already uh, showed no signs of slowing down against Winthrop. Uh, talk about his start. He, he seems to be comfortable at the plate. A really difficult, difficult out as Lou Holtz used to say. It's awfully difficult to pitch to West Clark. Um, it, it's it's just, I mean, you know, even from a, a, the just a fan sitting there, you look and, and this guy's just seeing the ball really, really well. Oh, you're exactly right. And, and Wes got off to a great start last year. Not not this good, obviously, but he got off to a great start last year before before uh, the coronavirus shut things down. And, and um, you know, you can't draw up anything better than what he's done through four games. Uh, I mean, and it, I'm not saying that it was expected from, you know, the, from the standpoint of these are the numbers he would put up. Nobody can have that expectation, but I, I expected him to, to come into the season uh, playing, playing really good baseball. He's been very consistent over the course of the, the scrimmages, both the fall and the preseason, uh, he's hit for power. He he hasn't struck out much. And, you know, what he's done, the, the first four games is is kind of carrying over from from what he was doing in, in games against uh, his own pitchers. And, and you know, I feel like South Carolina's pitching staff is, is really good. So, you know, Wes has a couple doubles, six home runs, 12 RBIs, seven walks, and no strikeouts. And, you know, he's a very disciplined hitter. Uh, he's a, he's a very strong physical kid and you know when you add those two things together then then you're usually going to get uh, some pretty good results so you know he uh he's he's got he's got a, a very compact swing and and you know when, when there's not a whole lot of moving parts in there that that makes uh consistency a little bit more attainable is, is a hitter so you know he's done a really nice job obviously don't expect these numbers to to keep going, but I expect him to have a great season and, and he's, he's certainly an all sec caliber player and, and he's come along. He, he's come along defensively too, behind the plate. You know, he was at first base last season because, you know, they kind of needed him there and need, needed to, to find him a spot in the everyday lineup. But uh, you know, they need him at catcher this year. One, when, when Alec Boychuk went down with a season ending injury and, and he's, he's really pro- progressed back there defensively. He's certainly the number two catcher and, and, uh, and, and, full-time DH, but he's, he's done a really nice job and, and I expect him to, to continue to play really well and, and to stay, you know, at or near the top of the league and, and a lot of uh, offensive categories. You know, Colin Burgess has gotten off to a good start as well. Wimmer, Allen, Easter, David Mendham didn't have like the best debut the first game, but seemed to heat up uh, as the weekend went on. Even George Khalil uh, is doing some good things. This lineup uh, also to me, John seems to to pack a little bit more punch uh, in addition to Clark, uh, maybe than in previous years. You know, you got some guys as much as Clark can hurt you. You know, you got some guys like Wimmer and Allen and Easter who can knock the cover off the ball who are also dangerous at the plate. Yeah, and and as you mentioned, Colin Burgess is off to a nice start. You know, he's he's a great player for the Gamecocks defensively, and really kind of my key to the to the season this year uh, with what what he can do defensively, and you know how important he is behind the plate to that pitching staff. So, 
Um, you know, Colin, anything you, when you, when you get big offensive numbers out of Colin Burgess, it's a plus, uh, Braylon Wimmer provides a, a really nice, uh, combination of, of size and or, or power and speed. Uh, he's a guy who's going to steal a lot for this team. And, and, uh, you know, I know he, his first start out there in center field, he, he had a little bit of a rough go of it. Uh, but he, he made, he made a couple of nice plays in left field and, and on, on, on Tuesday against Winthrop, he made a diving catch out in center and it looked really good. So, you know, I think he ultimately is becomes close to the everyday starter in center field, but, you know, Brady Allen is, is probably a, a guy I look at, uh, to, to have a really big year as well. Uh, to go along with Wes Clark from an offensive standpoint. You know, he's he's got great plate discipline up there as well. He's another guy who's strong. Um, it, but he's got he's got some great baseball savvy about him. You know, he's not gonna hit hit as many home runs as Wes. He's gonna he's gonna be more of a leadoff hitter uh kind of approach because that's the spot in the order that that he is and has been asked to asked to contribute in and and but he's got he's got some savvy on the bases. And, you know, I think he's going to run into a few here and there as well. So I, he, he's a, he's just kind of a professional hitter. He's a, he's a guy who's going to go in with a great plate, plate approach each, each time. And, you know, I feel really good watching him through the scrimmages as well with where he is coming into the year. Uh, him and Wes Clark, to me, were by far the top two performers uh, on the team from an offensive standpoint coming into the year. And, and uh, they're, they're both off to a really solid start so far. All right, so the good news is South Carolina's off to a really good start in baseball, 4-0, uh, really good wins. They seem to be playing well. Um, and Clemson, you know, they'll play that series this weekend and let the chips fall where they may. The bad news is I've never really seen a schedule like this, like the stress these guys are about to play uh, since I've been following Carolina baseball. Uh, you know, they go to Winthrop after the Clemson game. Mercer is not chopped liver. Uh, they come to town for three. But then check this out. Seven of the next eight are on the road. They're at Citadel, at Texas for three. Then Davidson comes to town for a midweek game. Then they're at Vandy for three. <laughs> uh, you turn around and uh, there's a home game against Gardner-Webb. But, oh, then Florida comes in for three. Uh, I don't, I don't, I, that's, that's a nine game. That's three straight weekend series, you know, four or five, if you count Mercer and Clemson as quality opponents where it, it's, it's, it's not going to be easy. I mean, it, this is a, a very, very difficult stretch for any team. Uh, I think in the country, um, you know, regardless. So, so, so what are your thoughts about, you know, how the schedule sets up after, uh, after the Clemson series? Yeah, I mean it's it's an incredible challenge. Like, I mean, we we oftentimes talk about how difficult you know South Carolina's schedule is, regardless of whether it's baseball, football, whatever. And and it is. I mean, SEC's great at at, at, at most sports, and you know, but this is you you can't have a, a a much more difficult schedule than South Carolina's got. I mean, you look at you you look at the league play, and and uh, you play four teams from from the opposite division. Well, the four teams that South Carolina plays are all ranked in the top 12 nationally going into the season. Uh, the other three teams, only one of them's ranked period. So you can't have a more difficult West division schedule. Then you, then you schedule a series at Texas and they were ranked, you know, top 15, top 20 coming into the season. I know they had a rough opening weekend against some great, great competition, but you know, you're going out to Austin. I mean, it's, 
it's incredibly difficult in Mercer. You know, they don't have the name, but you know, they're, they're one of four teams in the country that have won 35 games for, for the last 10 straight years. They joined Vanderbilt, Florida state and LSU. I mean, that's pretty good company right there. Uh, so, so Mercer's not a pushover and, and Clemson obviously is what it is. So, uh, you know, we talk about difficult schedules all the time around here and, and, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's largely true, but it, it doesn't really stack up to, to what this is because, you know, you, you, add, you look at what they have sec wise, then you add in Texas and that's something that you never do when you're South Carolina, um, uh, in, in the past. And, and, uh, it just it makes for for a, a formidable a formidable uh, slate of I think they've got 53 games scheduled uh, this year and you know it's it's just a challenge but it but it also to me brings a lot of excitement too so I I, I admire admire uh, the Gamecocks for going out and scheduling Texas to to add into what was already incredibly difficult. I mean, there are fans literally like trying to make plans to travel out there. I don't know what the the COVID restrictions are like, I know what they're like in Texas. The city of Austin's a little bit tougher. Um, so good luck to those people that want to trample out and, and try to get tickets for that. And then the exciting news, Texas is uh, scheduled to come back to Founders Park next year uh, for a big early season series. So that, that'll be good. I always think that, you know, South Carolina and Texas makes sense uh, to play in, in some sports and, and certainly, uh, you know, baseball would be at the top of that list, probably followed by women's basketball just because of the tradition of the two schools. All right, basketball real quick. Um, John, I, I've watched the last few games. I haven't seen this team or this program be this uncompetitive in a while. Yeah, give me your view. Uh, I know that uh, you know a lot about the basketball program and all that. Um, your, your viewpoint as far as where things stand right now, I get asked about it all the time behind the scenes and, Rumors fly, um, but uh, I know you've got the, the actual facts, so uh, let me know. Uh, let me know. Well, I mean, there, this has been one of the most disappointing South Carolina teams in recent memory for me. I mean, I've, I felt this was surefire NCAA tournament team, and, you know, obviously various factors play into it over the course of the season, and, you know, they've had a lot of challenges over there, but even – even with the challenges they've had, there's no reason for this team to to be playing this poorly. I mean, and, and they've they're they're over it this season. I mean, you don't need to look any further than than being out rebounded last night by 25. I mean, it's just when, when you're out rebounded by by a margin like that, it it it's. I mean, and, and Frank Martin says it all the time. Re, rebounds are, are are an effort stat, and you know. Forty-nine to twenty-four was was the rebounding margin last night, and it's just it's inexcusable. It's it's absolutely inexcusable for for something like that to happen. But you know, big big picture wise, it's it's uh, it's it's really really disappointing for for anybody. And and you know, Frank Martin certainly deserves to shoulder a lot of this. I mean, he's a head coach, and that's that's what happens when you're the head coach. It's just part of it. But, you know, the players need to shoulder some of this responsibility too. like uh, Keyshawn Bryant, A.J. Lawson, Jermaine Kuznard, all three years in the program. Justin Minaya, four years in the program. Weldon Levesque was a starter last year's second year back. Seventh Woods has a national championship ring, second year in the program. Jalen McCreary hasn't come along like like we thought he should. And, you know, maybe that one's a little bit more excusable because he, he was out 
multiple times with with uh, coronavirus protocols. But but man, like you know, Frank Martin has talked about this team not being connected, and it's true. But there's no reason why it shouldn't or, or why it should be that way. There's no reason for that. And you know, the players have have come in and, and talked and 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 spoken about how they aren't playing the right way and they're not playing Frank Martin basketball and. Well, yeah, it's it's exactly true. Like, why is that? Why is that the case on, on you know February twenty fourth, and and how there there's got to be some responsibility there taken taken among the players for why this season is is what it is. And you know, Frank Martin's going to take 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 the brunt of the criticism as as he should as as the head coach of an amateur team, but. You know the the players need to look a little bit in the mirror, and and they've they've really let their coach down with with how they've played and, and their effort and, and that kind of thing because it's uh, it's it's incredibly disappointing because this this is an NCAA tournament caliber team, and you know they're they're going to finish below five hundred. Yeah, I have. I was telling somebody that I have no hope of any kind of spark or run when they get to the SEC tournament, I, I think, I think they've, you hear the term mailed it in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they've mailed it in. I, I think the football team, quite frankly, the last game of the season mailed it in against Kentucky, especially on defense. Uh, I thought they were kind of competing when they played Missouri and Georgia, but you know, that Kentucky game was ugly. So that, that's disappointing for fans. I think uh, a lot of rumors out there about Frank Martin's future, you know, what's your take? You know, I I can't blame I I can't blame South Carolina if if they decide they want to move on. I I can't blame Frank Martin if he he wants to move on. And you know, there's rumors out there about about New Mexico opening up later this year and and wanting Frank. And you know, if if he wants to jump for that job, then then I I wouldn't blame him a bit. You know, he's he's been here for nine years, and and you know, it's I, I don't want to say the program is has necessarily or has has definitely plateaued but you know in some ways it it feels that way and you know maybe the next coach is at South Carolina is 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 who helps make it make the Gamecocks take the next step and and you know maybe Frank's taking this thing as as far as he can and and you know I don't think it should be lost that he's accomplished a lot of great things here you know if you you pack this season aside and 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 take it out. And, and I know you can't really do that, but you know, you look back at some of the things that, that he's accomplished in terms of proving that you can win consistently in the sec here. You, you can take a team in, into the NCAA tournament and, and win a few games. And, you know, I think people will look back at, at that final four run and, and do look back at that final four run as, is maybe their favorite memory in Gamecock history and that that they've personally witnessed. And you know, I, I haven't met a person who hadn't hadn't said that that's a top three moment in their in their Gamecock fan life. So, you know, he's he's accomplished some things around here. I I feel like he is he has uh, you know brought the program, elevated the program to a spot where it shows that it can be you know, relevant in the SEC and, and the SEC has become a much better conference since, uh, since he's been here. Um, you know, the SEC has become a better league. They're much more respected nationally than, than they used to be. And, you know, I'm not saying the, the SEC is, is on, is on par with the, the big 10 or, or, or the ACC, you know, his, uh, year in and year out, but, 
you know, it's, it's a good league now. And Frank Martin's uh, coming into this year, three of the last five years, they were, they were top four in the league. And, and one of those, five, one of those other two years, they were sixth. So, you know, it's, it's been, it's been a productive, um, it's, it's been a good time here overall for Frank Martin. Um, NCAA tournament is how you measure uh, college basketball teams. Um, and, and that hasn't, that goal has not come to come to fruition enough. And if South Carolina wants to move on, then I, I certainly, I, I can certainly understand it. But at the same time, like Frank might, might, uh, might feel like he, he, uh, he, he needs a new spot as well. So I, I can certainly see something happen happening at the end of the year, uh, one way or the other. And I, I, uh, I, I hope that, if 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 there is a change made, whether it's Frank leaving or or or, uh, or or South Carolina moving on from Frank, hopefully the the South Carolina folks will be able to look back as at the at the last nine years is is a is an overall positive with with where he has brought the program. Yeah, and I, and I think too, John, when you look at it, you know the the thing that's that's killed the overall resume, I think, is number one. You know, we're living in, you know, the 2015-16 team should have made the tournament. Um, it, it was one of the biggest snubs in the history of the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, South Carolina really didn't get the benefit of the doubt uh, in that situation. Uh, they A very average Vanderbilt team got in over them, which I hated. Uh, and so that stunk. And then, you know, people don't think about this. The NIT rules changed a few years back. So, like, Dave Odom, with his team that won the second team that won the NIT, you know, he was able to go with a 14 and 13 record, just a winning record. Eddie Fogler took two teams to the NIT that just had barely winning records. You know, Frank's teams like that, that normally would have been NITs got bounced because of the rule that they instituted when the NCAA bought the NIT to where your mid-major regular season champions get automatic bursts. And so that takes out about, 10 to 10 to 12 high major teams that have had pretty good years that could have gone to that tournament, you know, 2015, 2018, 2019, uh, those could have all been NIT teams. I I think last year was disappointing because that team was good enough to make it. And I don't think they would have, uh, even though you don't know, um, you know, especially losing to Vanderbilt late like that. And then this team was disappointed. So I really think he's only had, you know, two teams since his first two years that you could say were disappointing. And, you know, last year, 18 and 13 is nothing to shake a stick at at South Carolina. So, you know, I, I, I think that big picture, he's been kind of the victim of some, some rotten circumstances that, you know, it, it, during previous coaching tenures, uh, you know, we, we may be looking at, you know, six out of nine postseason, which, which would have been a tremendous, a tremendous feat in two NCAA tournaments or three, maybe who knows. All right, John, well, we'll let you roll. I know you're a busy man. Uh, All your coverage coming up here on the Big Spur. Uh, I know everybody will certainly enjoy that. Uh, Obviously, with baseball, for you guys that don't know, John Little is the baseball guru, uh, and he's also great at other sports. John, appreciate you joining me today, and uh, we'll talk to you really soon. Yeah, definitely. Appreciate it, JC. See you. John Little for TheBigSpur.com. Thanks, as always, for coming on. Uh, really good uh, interview with John. It brings a lot of insight. Again, uh, if you're not a VIP member of thebigspur.com, I encourage you to join. We're still running that special. You can get half off a annual membership and also get uh, CBS All Access, which in uh, nine, eight, less than a week, March 4th, 
is going to become Paramount Plus, uh, which is going to include CBS, BET, Comedy Central, MTV, Nickelodeon, the Smithsonian Channel, for those of you that love documentaries like I do. Uh, it's going to be one of those premier streaming services. Um, so you, you get uh, for a, you know, a value of about $200 a year, you get it for 50. Uh, so you can also talk to your, fa- you know, something for your family too. You know, if not everybody's getting on the Gamecock website, uh, you can go ahead and uh, say, all right, well, you guys can get the Paramount Plus login. Uh, and, uh, you know, iconic movies from Paramount's pictures. I mean, it's a good deal. It's kind of a result of the CBS Viacom situation. Uh, I guess they, they used to be together and they got they broke apart and they got back together. Uh, CBS, of course, is the parent company of 24-7 Sports and the Big Spur is a affiliate of 24-7 Sports, proud affiliate of 24-7 Sports. So wanted to mention that. Uh, once again, first pitch, if they – play it tomorrow because the the weather looks ominous 4 p.m at clemson that game is on acc network extra uh and for those of you that are wondering here's how you get that you have to have espn on your cable provider or on like you know you have to be have your live tv streaming through hulu or youtube tv or something like that you you put all that into the espn app and then you stream it on the app uh if you scroll down on the espn app they have like icons with balls like football and tennis ball and baseball. You got a baseball and all of it comes up. Uh, it was real easy for me to stream it last week and uh, ACC Network Extra and SEC Network Plus, both on there. First pitch Friday at four, Thomas Farr is probably going for the Gamecocks. Again, if they play it. Uh, the Greenville game on Saturday, also first pitch is at four. Uh, SEC Network Plus will have that one. And then 1.30 p.m. at Founders Park in Columbia, Again, on Sunday, SEC Network Plus. No word on what's going to happen uh, with the makeup. Uh, switching gears to football, I think since we last talked, the Gamecocks got their first commit from the 2022 class. Uh, Anthony Rhodes from Holland, uh, excuse me, Anthony Rose from Hollandale, Florida. And I've said this many times if you're going to go get a defensive back and you can't, you know, it's not a no brainer, uh, i.e., and, and I don't know that this, I think this kid is a no brainer to be honest because he's, uh, you know, he's a top 500 kid in the country. Uh, several outlets, I think Rivals has him as a four-star, 24-7 sports, high three as an 88. Um, Torian Gray uh, goes down and, and gets a kid that he had a relationship with. Uh, in Anthony Rose, everybody I've talked to internally is fired up. Uh, externally, too, people look at this as a big-time commitment for the Gamecocks. They beat Arizona, Arizona State, and Penn State for his services. Um, also had offers from FIU, Indiana. Uh, you know, it used to be that the Indiana offer maybe didn't mean as much. You just go, ah, it's Indiana. But I'm telling you, if you watch their defense play this year, uh, I, I'm intrigued by the Indiana scholarship offer. And also, here's another guy, uh, DJ Wanham. You know, Carolina flipped him from Indiana. So uh, I think to me, just as a recruiting dude, uh, I think that Indiana offer looks really good. LSU had offered. Maryland had offered Mississippi State, uh, Pittsburgh, Tennessee, uh, probably the old staff at Tennessee because Derek Ainsley's name's behind it. Texas A&M had offered. Uh, so, you know, a legit offer list for this guy. Gamecocks beat him. Uh, and it just kind of shows you, Torian Gray to me is what I call an alpha recruiter. And, and we expected, I think, with some of these guys on Muschamp's staff 
to, to be that way. I think Travaris Robinson, Brian McClendon, and Lance Thompson all come to mind. And for some reason, they struggled. And I, I think this backs up kind of what I said during the whole coaching search. And I'm not tooting my own horn because this is one commit. Uh, but I, I do think that you, you need somebody that's done less with more, more with less at, at certain places, that's been at a place where, hey, you know, you've got to, you've got to go and get guys uh, one way or the other. Torian Gray, 10 years at Virginia Tech. Obviously, you look at all the players he recruited there, speaks for itself. He's also been at Florida and recruited well. Um, it hasn't really mattered where he's been. Uh, he's been able to recruit, and he's off to a great start at South Carolina. Not just with this kid. I hear a lot of great things from the state of Florida in specifically uh, about Gray. I hear a lot of good things about Justin Stepp, uh, a lot of good things about Eric Kimry, uh, a lot of good things about the other guys too, uh, Greg Adkins, uh, Pete Limbo, all these guys, Shane Beamer himself, uh, pretty good recruiters so far. Marcus Satterfield on the quarterbacks. Um, you know, so so I, I think re- recruiting as far as momentum goes right now, given the limitations with COVID, uh, I, I think South Carolina is in as good of a spot as they could possibly be um, just based on the feedback I've been getting from players and people close to players and other analysts and people in other markets and, and things of that nature. So, you know, we'll see kind of how all it unfolds. It's one, like I said, one commit, uh, but it's a big one. Uh, and he's projected to be a safety uh, really, uh, if you look at him on film and you kind of, <laughs> you kind of talk to people that have seen him in person. I mean, he's a physical freak, um, and does not mind hitting you. Uh, he's listed six, four, one eighty, probably closer to six, two and a half, uh, in socks, but cleats, you know, maybe he's a bigger guy. Uh, I'll tell you this. I like him better than a, as a prospect than I did McQuamu coming out. Uh, just as far as like who they were back then, I wasn't overly high on McQuamu. I thought he had a lot of upside, uh, but I, some of the things that hampered him at Carolina were things I was concerned about when I watched him as a high schooler, um, both on film and in person. So Anthony Rose, the first commit uh, from this class, it was kind of a surprise, sort of just popped up last week. And I think South Carolina, uh, you know, is off to a really good start. Uh, Antonio Williams, uh, the local player uh, from um, uh, Dutch Fork there, uh, is a player that's really seen his stock rise. Uh, if you look at uh, his ranking per 24-7 sports, uh, you know, you, you can look at it and he's gone from uh, being sort of an unknown three-star type to a, uh, a top 247 guy. Uh, according to the composite, he's, you know, and I'm sure he'll launch in other ways too. And and our guys for 24-7 saw him in person. Uh, He's launched to to, to 322 in the composite, uh, top 50 receiver nationally, sixth in the state of South Carolina. Gamecocks need to get back into Dutch Fork. Dutch Fork's a great high school program. Um, There's just been some unfortunate things that have happened, um, you know, both in terms of the Bryce Thompson situation and, you know, the kid that went to Tennessee, uh, Jalen Hyatt, you know, with the, the, the eval there. Uh, Dutch Fork wins big, <laughs> and uh, they got good players. And this kid's fast and good. Um, so you look at it, you know, uh, I was told last night they did a virtual visit with Antonio Williams. Uh, and this is Justin Stepp, Eric Kimry, all those guys. Um, and then it went extremely well. And uh, Hale McGranahan is going to follow up with Antonio. We talked to Antonio in Myrtle Beach this past weekend. Uh, 
uh, and we, 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 you know, we, we kind of sketched it out. Florida State is going to be a team that, that really uh, pushes for him, I believe. Uh, Auburn has also offered him. Uh, and then you always got to watch the Tigers, the in-state Tigers with a kid like that, uh, just because, it, it, you know, you just don't know, are they going to pop in or whatever. Chances are. I mean, but look at this offer list. Oregon, Tennessee, Southern Cal, Ole Miss. Uh, you got to watch out for Ole Miss, uh, in my opinion, because it's uh, Murphy Holloway is his stepfather. We all remember Murphy. He did sit on the bench one year while he's redshirting at South Carolina, then went back to Ole Miss. Uh, but a, a local basketball player. But from what I'm told, they, you know, the football staff is developing a good relationship uh, with a lot of those guys. Georgia's offered, Kentucky's offered, Notre Dame's offered. Uh, so this kid's got a pretty good offer list, and the film backs that up. Uh, Crystal Ball has two for the Gamecocks. So there's a kid uh, that I think, you know, you could get into the boat in the boat early because he's a local kid. Uh, that's why the Rose commit sort of surprised me because the further they are from campus, the more it's a sight unseen kind of thing. Uh, and then another uh, crystal ball came in today for CJ Stokes, the running back out of Hammond. Um, I think his stock is going to be on the rise because uh, I think people are starting to figure out that CJ Stokes is legit fast and he's not five, eight, one sixty, which I, which he was as a freshman when he first got on the radar, he's five eleven, hundred ninety 90 pounds now, which is exactly the size CJ Spiller was coming out. Uh, you put him on the clock, he's going to run four, four. Uh, so the level of competition doesn't matter as much. Uh, I think South Carolina has some options at running back, but I, I think he's as good as any because he's got speed and this whole roster needs speed. Uh, you know, and, and I think that he's a local kid, Crystal ball prediction from Brian Doan, one of our national analysts, came in today for Stokes for Carolina. Uh, I think Hale and I both have had uh, – you know, actually, I have not gone in yet. Tony has gone in uh, and went in in January, and then Brian went in. Hale's been in for about two years. So I need to put mine in. Uh, C.J. Stokes from Hammond. Uh, and then, you know, the, the third local guy that could be an early commit, I think, is uh, the Smith kid from Spring Valley, DeAndre Smith. I think that uh, – I'm going to make sure that's – I think it's DeAndre or DK, DeQuandre. Uh, I don't have it in front of me. Let me look at it. Um, DeQuandre Smith, excuse me. Uh, 6'1", 200, Touring Gray. Really likes him as a safety prospect. He's being recruited as a safety by just about everybody on the list. Uh, Michigan wanted him as a safety. Uh, I'll say this. I'll make a good point about the Michigan offer. Expect that to go to Tennessee – uh, here pretty soon or, or expect Tennessee to offer pretty soon because Brian Jean Mary, who actually is a former Gamecock assistant, uh, graduate assistant at South Carolina. Um, he's come in and, uh, and, and I mean, sorry, he's taken the Tennessee uh, linebackers coach job. So you have to, um, you have to look at them too. Cause I think he'll come in again. He wanted him as a safety as well. Uh, I think that's what he is. I think the kid's a big physical athlete, um, you know, good quarterback for sure uh, in certain systems and all that. But I think uh, I think safety's probably his spot. Uh, and so that's another guy, Crystal Ball's in on him. So, you know, you're kind of looking at the three Columbia area kids. Uh, and this is here, and I'm watching DeCondre Smith right now on film. Boy, he, he is a physical load and will run you over at quarterback. Um, the three Columbia kids, Smith, Stokes, and Williams – you know, that's a good little nucleus uh, for in-state this year. During a year where, 
you know, a lot of the other highly rated guys in state are, are from the upstate. You know, Jaden Lucas is from Malden. Jaleel Skinner's from Greer. Colin Sadler's from Greenville. Uh, you know, you, you, you have – it's just one of those years where – the guys Clemson's offered or, 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 you know, a lot of them are up there now, you know, Clemson still wants Jalen Sneed. Will they, you know, I don't know. Carolina does too. I think he'll go out of state just to be honest, just that's because kids from that program tend to do that. Um, you know, uh, and, and, you know, Clemson obviously got Adam Randall from Myrtle beach. who's a really good player. Uh, and so we'll see, we'll see kind of what happens uh, at the end of the day. Uh, but I, I do think it's a positive thing the Gamecocks have some Columbia area guys just because, you know, th- those guys don't need to come visit because they're there. You know, they, they, they're not committing sight unseen. They know about Carolina. And so I think, uh, and then they could, they did the virtual visit and obviously that was good. So I, I think recruiting actually to my surprise, because I was, I was kind of mentally prepared uh, to sort of say, well, it's going to be sort of slow going until they can get visits back and all that. But you know, these guys are really getting after it and, and, and making noise. And so I think that's a positive thing uh, at the end of the day uh, with recruiting. Uh, all right. So football recruiting, that's it. Mailbag, we have one question. I don't, you know, I, I'm not going to complain about that. I'm glad we have one just because, uh, you know, we, we, we've been kind of doing this once a week. Probably going to get, uh, you know, probably going to get uh, more in. Uh, who knows, but uh, it's, uh, I get it, you know. So uh, inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com or tweet to at the Big Spur Pod. Also follow that Twitter account. Follow us on Instagram inside the Gamecocks. Uh, lots of stuff there. Uh, Mitchell says, hope all is well. Got two questions for the podcast. First, how likely do you think Shane Beamer beats Clemson, Georgia, Florida, or Texas A&M during his first three seasons in Columbia? First three seasons? I think he beats at least I, I I would venture to say he gets one win over those if things are going at least decent. Uh because I, I think I think AM the last two years has not been the function of them, you know, and I know they recruit better than Carolina and they, they've got talent and all that. And it's not it's not been a function of talent. It's been a function of they they played a defeated team in college station. Uh, in 2019, it was still a 10-point game late. And then last year, I think that was A&M's best team, and South Carolina just could not do anything. The drops early killed them, uh, and then they weren't stopping anybody. Uh, and so that was that was just an ugly football game. Uh, Carolina's been right there with Florida really for the past three years. Uh, they obviously beat Georgia two years ago in Athens. You know, Clemson, there's a gap. So we'll see kind of what happens there. Anything can happen in one game. But, you know, if you're just talking about those four, I'm pretty sure it'll happen. Uh, He said, I know those games are considered automatic losses these days, but honestly, get the feeling he'll beat one of those two teams not only once during his first three seasons, but sooner rather than later. Even with Will Will Muschamp outside of Clemson, Carolina played these guys really competitively. And that's true because there's not – you know, with Clemson, there's a big talent gap. And by the time Carolina gets to that, has gotten to that game, like in 2019, they were defeated, right? 2018 against Clemson, the, the defense was completely gutted. They, they had to run out walk-ons, you know. And then you're not going to stop Clemson on a good day when you have your players, you know, much less uh, in that situation. You know, in 2017, which is a year, I think if they'd have played better, 
and been healthy with all their guys like Debo and those guys and Shai Smith, they're missing Debo and Shai Smith. They probably would have had a chance at that Clemson team to at least be closer than it was. And of course the turnovers early hurt them and, you know, Clemson sat on the ball and I don't know what Kurt Roper was doing. And then the first year, uh, obviously South Carolina had no shot. So if you really examine those games, the gap, the talent gap has shown pretty good with with the two teams, you know, by the time they get there, uh, just because when you talk about a talent gap, uh, a lot of times it's, can you overcome injuries you know do you have enough guys are you are you are you throwing a guy out there that they can compete and make plays uh, when your starters hurt are you throwing a guy out there that you know can't play dead in a movie uh, or a walk-on or somebody that's inexperienced or not ready you know there's all those things there um and then Mitchell goes on to say with this I don't think the whole college football media is looking into the pieces in South Carolina Beamer has more talent inherited than what Muschamp came into. And looking at the roster for next season, I honestly believe we can win seven games. Yeah, and if the national media, if if it, if it wasn't Shane Beamer was one of their darlings that 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 have big offensive numbers, you know that they they would look closer, and I think they would have a more positive outlook. But you know, the national media sort of thinks like you know some fans do. Oh, he's never been a coordinator, so so it's hard to project. And I understand that. I'm not gonna. I'm not going to discuss coaching higher grades this time around or call anybody out. You know, that's their opinion. Um, you know, and, and honestly, those that called the must empire out, you did look like an idiot uh, up until that Florida game in 2018 uh, because he was doing well. I don't know why the bottom fell out at Florida and at South Carolina under him, but that's obviously a trend. Um, we don't know any trends for Shane Beamer yet. Uh, I do know that the, the attitude and the positivity is back in the building. And I think that's good. Uh, and then when you really look at the talent on the team, there are guys that have a shot, you know, it, it's not, the cupboard is not as bare as what Muschamp took over. Muschamp was able to eke out six wins. Uh, you know, I, I think there's a lot better situation on the offensive line, defensive line, a lot better situation at running back. Um, you know, I don't. I don't know that you're going to find a you know a Debo Samuel, Brian Edwards, Hayden Hurst type uh, trio. But keep in mind, going into 2016, Edwards had not called a single career pass. Debo had had one good game because he was hurt all the time, and Hayden Hurst was a player they were trying to teach how to play tight end because they didn't have any tight ends. He was a receiver the previous year. So, you know, going into that season, there is more mystery than there is this year. Um, I think if there are, you know, the question marks, there are obviously receivers a question mark. Um, I do like that they have options. Uh, Muschamp team that first year didn't have a lot of options. Remember, Chavis Dawkins was the number three guy after Renriquez Davis got hurt. And then Casey Crosby, you know, had to, for all intents and purposes, be the third receiver on that team down the stretch. Um, and they somehow made it work. They had freshman quarterbacks, you know, freshmen, two freshmen and a walk-on. You know, that, that's a recipe for disaster. You know, Carolina's got at least Luke Doty that has three games under his belt, two years in a system, but Jason Brown, who has played, you know, they're, they're not sitting there looking to start Colton this year. Uh, you know, the tight end position with, with you know, they have, they have two Casey Crosby's if you think about Mullins and Bell. Uh, they have a guy, Nick Muse, that could be that attached guy that and, and makes some plays. He's got to get better at his blocking. 
no doubt. But, uh, you know, I, I think linebacker, obviously, in the secondary, there's question marks. Um, but I, I also think there's some players that could step up. Muhammad Kaba uh, is a guy that has a way to, ways to go, but a highly regarded guy. Uh, I told somebody the other day I wouldn't be sad if Rosendo Lewis and Muhammad Kaba were the starting two linebackers in the four-two-five, just because – uh, you know, I was comfortable with their talent level coming out of high school. And this Debo Williams cat from Delaware, I continue to hear nothing but good things about him. Now, the pads have not come on. The pads have not come on. And so with all these guys that, that are that are new or coming up a level through the portal or, you know, that were freshmen last year that didn't play, the pads are, you know, when the pads come on, that's when that's when things are decided in this sport. You can have the greatest camp all you want. You could be a, a hero out there in shorts. That's a different sport than football. And I think everybody knows that. So Debo Williams, to me, you know, when you watch him on film with the pads on, he's a fearless guy. Now, can, can he be disciplined to play fresh linebacker as a freshman at a high level in the SEC? That's the question. Because at linebacker, you have to have eye discipline. You can't just go chasing, you know, a little TLC. can't go chasing waterfalls. Uh, you can get beat pretty quick doing that. But I, I like his physicality and aggression on film. The whole question is when the pads come on, you know, is he going to be able to, to channel all that work and all that intensity into being a disciplined linebacker? And, and that's, that's the question with every young linebacker, I think. Um, secondary they got a lot of options. Uh, it's kind of like receiver. You know, you don't really point to one guy. You say, well, this guy's probably a starter, you know, and I would say that about Cameron Smith. I think if Jalen Dickerson's healthy, maybe he's a guy back there. Uh, obviously I think he's got some talent, but there's a lot of guys and you, you don't know if they're going to be nickel backs or corners or safeties. Uh, but you got a guy back there that kind of knows how to piece it together. He did it again for 10 years at Virginia tech. He did it in the pros, uh, did it at Florida. I know they were unhappy with their secondary last year, but I think I think that's a function of that defense, man. I've seen that defense at Mississippi State, Louisville, Georgia, and Florida just get torched sometimes with NFL players on the back end. So I don't I don't think Torian Gray is at fault for that. Um, so anyway, that, that's kind of a football thing. And uh, you know, uh, Mitchell goes on to say, I think the Gamecocks have two big pieces needed to win in the SEC. Good running backs. An outstanding defensive line. Uh, he says he feels like if there's guys that stepped up, they could win seven games. Yeah, and keep in mind the schedule too is very favorable in, in terms of their, their you know, and, and I'm not saying there's teams Carolina will beat, uh, you know, because you, you just don't know that this team was two and two and eight with an all SEC schedule last year. Um, and obviously that, that looks a lot worse than it is because if, if Carolina had played three cupcakes. Uh, plus Clemson, or you know, I don't know. Maybe it's a four and eight, another four and eight. But anyway, it looks bad. Two is not an acceptable number of wins. Um, and uh, you know, you're looking at their two and eights. So they could lose to anybody, you know, and and they can. That's no doubt. But you're not lining up, you know, and playing LSU, Texas A&M, Georgia, three straight weeks. You know, you're playing teams that, you know, it could go either way. Uh, with the exception of at Georgia where Carolina will be decided underdogs. And I think, you know, I think it sets up for a good start if the pieces come together and, you know, they can avoid injuries and, and things like that. And I think, you know, if that happens, all this positivity 
uh, that they built through the offseason, plus the confidence with going out and winning football games is going to help them when they ultimately face adversity. In other words, you know, you can do all the, the great offseason stuff you want, and people inside the program tell me this all the time. It's going great. Hadn't faced any adversity yet. Uh, and, and that's kind of football and life. This is what happens when you face adversity. How do you respond? The good teams respond. The bad teams do not. You know, the bad team, you know, the football team this year did not. They got punched in the mouth at LSU. They did not respond. They went backward. The basketball team on the men's side, we talked about this earlier, they have not responded. They've gone backward. Uh, you know, and that happens in sports. You know, it happens to teams that have talent. Um, it's so mental. But, you know, you can't be sitting there at one and one and struggle to beat Eastern Illinois and, and, and go and get beat at East Carolina in an upset and expect all this positivity to carry you into Athens uh, for anything but a butt whooping, right? Um, maybe you do. Maybe you can respond to the adversity of the loss, but it's going to be a whole lot better if you're 2-0 and and you got some confidence. And then if you lose to Georgia, you respond to that adversity, which is sort of expected, and, and try to bounce back and get wins. Um, and so I, I think that's the whole key is that, you know, a good start is is on the table for the Gamecocks. Um, and if you get off to a good start, then winning seven, obviously, is going to be uh, a little bit easier than, I guess, uh, th- than maybe people think. I, I honestly think South Carolina can surprise. Now, I'll, I'll say this, uh, and I've said it before. The media is going to do Carolina no favors. Uh, I would anticipate – them being picked anywhere from fifth to seventh. And I think it'll be a trendy thing to pick them below Vanderbilt uh, going into this year, just because people are probably tired of picking Vandy seventh all the time. <laughs> uh, trust me. I know the SEC media and then they, we, we, we all talk it to death. And uh, I think, and there's certain storylines we all buy into every year. I'm not buying into that this year personally, but I bought into some before. Uh, like, oh, Missouri is going to play for the East because of Kelly Bryant. And I don't know that. I think I was a little skeptical about that, but I did say they had a favorable schedule. I was skeptical Kentucky was going to be the second best team in the East this year. Uh, you know, and, and I certainly was skeptical that Georgia uh, was going to roll through the East again this season just because that that normally doesn't happen. And lo and behold, the Gators won it and, and then won that game with the dogs pretty easy. Um, and I've also been highly skeptical of Florida and all they've done is win. So I'm probably wrong most of the time. I'm just kidding. I'm wrong a lot when it comes to the SEC, but I'm, I, I'm probably just as good as anybody as far as that goes. It's an unpredictable sport. All right, that's all the time we have for today. Please enjoy your weekend. Uh, hopefully the baseball gods, God himself, will smile uh, on the weather situation up at Clemson tomorrow afternoon. Uh, that's the hope. And then hopefully in Greenville the next day, it dries up. Maybe, you know, there's some talk that maybe they'd play just two games. There's also some talk that they'd probably maybe play a double header. There's a COVID protocol and stuff like that that goes into all this. So uh, it's kind of up in the air as John Whittle said, uh, but hold on to your hats. If you're a Gaycock baseball fan, cause the schedule, man, you know, you've got, you've got Clemson, you've got at Winthrop, you got a proud Mercer team coming in. You got at Citadel, which is sometimes tricky. Then three games in Austin, Texas, Davidson, and three games in Nashville against the Vanderbilt Commodores, who are a national powerhouse because they have different rules that they play by <laughs> in terms of scholarships. Anyway, a little shot there. 
Uh, Gamecock fans, have a great weekend. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Uh, go check out the Big Spur. We'll holla at you soon.